0: Peggy McAllister's trailer was a peppy sky blue. She'd planted doggedly cheerful yellow and orange flowers in every available spot around it, one of the very first to be parked at Happy Acres Mobile Estates. It dated back to the 60s, I think. It probably wasn't originally sky blue, but that's the color it had been for almost two decades— She'd had it repainted several times. Manufactured homes fade quickly in the unrepentant California sun. I had a bit of important news to tell her, so I walked a half block from my place to visit with her. Knocking on the screen door, I saw that the door beyond was open. I peeked in. I didn't see her anywhere, and she didn't answer. Calling her name, I pulled on the screen door to see if it was open. It wasn't. The TV was playing, commercials, hawking miracle medications. I called out, Peggy, are you there? But got no answer. Pulling out my aging flip phone, I plugged in Peggy's cell number. A second or two after I pressed send, I heard the thin sound of mechanical mew. Her granddaughter had programmed in a cat meowing as her ringtone. I let it cry a few times before I gave up. Then I tried her landline, which had a much louder ring that actually sounded like a telephone. When that didn't raise her, I began to fret. It took a few tries, but I managed to pull on the screen door hard enough to break the flimsy lock. I stepped inside. Peggy, you all right? I just broke your door. Where are you? I nosed around and found her moments later. She lay on her terracotta-tiled kitchen floor, curled into a fetal ball. Her body had come to rest next to a broken water glass, a spray of iced tea, and a small puddle of vomit. Having just done her morning workout, she wore a loose-fitting pink tank top, a pair of white shorts and gym shoes with fresh white socks sporting pink pom-poms on the back. Her white hair was damp on her cheek. She had an engagement ring on each hand, both with small diamonds, both from men whose names she had trouble remembering. On her wrist, a sparkling tennis bracelet made from faux diamonds, and around her neck, a St. Nicholas medal. She enjoyed telling people he was the patron saint of whores, though, to my knowledge, she'd never needed his protection. A varicose vein, one I was intimately familiar with, spidered across the back of her right thigh. On the counter sat a sweating pitcher of iced tea. The refrigerator door stood open as though she'd been about to return it to the top shelf. "'She's at some kind of event,' I supposed, as I tried to remember to breathe. That's the word doctors use, event. She must have had a cardiac event.' With a grunt, I bent over and checked for a pulse, though I already knew she was dead. Her face was stiff, waxy, her expression a painful grimace. I felt terrible for her, but then reminded myself that it happens to all of us, that most of us would have a harder death than this. I looked around for the cordless phone, saw it next to the recliner, hurried over, even though there was no point, and dialed 911. When a woman came on the line, I took a deep breath to calm myself and told her Peggy was dead. I asked her to send the police. She tried to keep me talking, but I said I had to go outside for air and hung up. But I didn't go outside, not right away. Instead, I stopped moving completely and stood in the center of Peggy's living room, numb and a bit confused. One of those Judge, whomever shows, was playing on the TV. Peggy loved those, loved to watch as people allowed themselves to be castigated for petty crimes just to get in front of a camera. That kind of foolishness tickled her. I tried to shake off those thoughts. I shouldn't be thinking about that, not now, not with Peggy right over. She hadn't expected to die. The thought hit me like a cold wind, but as soon as I thought it, I knew it was true.